0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. There's a lot of ways for you to get into this room. So one, two, three, four, five doors here. Um, I loved coming to visit you guys last week because I started counting doors. I was like, there's, I mean, there's multiple doors up there. There's a door up there you can't even use. It's just leaned up against the wall, right? And then there's, there's doors out that way and doors out that way. And I remember like visiting you guys last week and, and, and thinking about all those doors and wandering around and the Lord spoke to me about all your guys' doors. He brought to my mind a verse in Ezekiel chapter 46. I believe he wants us to start there. If we could go ahead and pull it up. Ezekiel chapter 46, starting in verse nine, it says, when the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed festivals. Whoever enters by the north gate to worship is to go out the south gate. Whoever enters by the south gate is to go out the north gate. No one is to return through the gate by which they entered, but each is to go out the opposite gate. Now there's practical reasons for this verse, I'm sure, but the Lord brought this to my mind because as I was looking at all the different doors that you guys had available, I don't think he's concerned about which door you come in. I think he's what, he's, what he's concerned about for us this morning and what I, what I believe God wants for, for us to walk away with is that he wants us to leave different. You know, whatever, whatever you came in with, there's something he wants you to leave here. And, and if you came in empty, he wants you to take something to bring with you. Whatever door you came in, that's not necessarily important, but how you entered, make sure that you leave different. And like whichever door that you walked in, you can be intentional about, in the same way, you can be intentional about how you leave. So let's start off this service by giving it to God and offering him that, uh, that opportunity to change us. He loves us too much to keep us the same. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your perfect word that corrects, that rebukes. God, that it, that it cuts into us, that it molds us and shape, it shapes us. God, we ask for you to hide your word in your heart so that we may not sin against you. God, we thank you for your perfect word and for this time together that you would bring us together where we can learn about you and love you. Lord Jesus, we portion out this morning. We yield to your dominion and authority, and we say, God, change us. Help us to leave different. God, help us to leave different. We thank you so much. God, we ask for your spirit of wisdom and revelation in this house so that we may know you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So. I'm so grateful to be here, and but last week, I got to talk about last week, that message last week. I mean, I mean, did you guys not, were you guys not inspired and encouraged, the one accord? I mean, I, I can't help but, but, but reference back to that, because when Pastor Don reached out to me a few weeks ago, you know, to invite me to come and share with you guys, the Lord, you know, quickened in me what direction I was supposed to go, and, you know, I started, you know, looking at the verses and, and thinking about what it was that God had for you this morning, and then I was here last week, and he preaches on the chapter before what the Lord wanted me to preach on this morning. I mean, you can't really make that kind of stuff. That was amazing to, to, ha- to have that. But he talked about how God uses all these different people because they're different, right? And, and let's, let's actually see that practically today. We're going to look at that practically. We're going to be continuing along with that same message and, and, and seeing how God uses, uses us all. And, and, and trust me, I'm going to tell you all about the retreat and, and what God is doing. But let's start off by going back to where he started us off at in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 1 Let's check this out as that's being pulled up I want to remind you now you're you're a church that sits sits under a teaching pastor so that means I'm just going to be reminding you because you're a church that doesn't just need milk no you're here for meat and when God blesses you with a teaching pastor, it means you're a learning church. And I'm so excited to be here with you this morning to remind you that the, the Bible is meditative literature. And in the meditative literature, there's things that God has placed there for you to find on the surface. And then there's things that God has placed underneath the surface for you. And let's see that in, in Luke, one of my favorite passages, men have, uh, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. I love this. Luke's my favorite New Testament writer. He's, he's, he's a historian. He's a physician. This is a man who is gifted at, at Obviously, at writing, this is incredible. It's some really great Greek here. And last week, he, he showed us, and using beautiful imagery and chords, how God uses everything. You know, Romans 8, 28, he uses everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In the very verses that he used, there was something right underneath the surface that I'd like to, for us to, to look at. And, and God uses everything about a person. In fact, he uses this man, Theophilus. Theophilus is the patron that Luke was writing to, and it's because of Theophilus that you and I have this orderly account that scratches the itch of skepticism in our, in our minds. This orderly account. Now, Theophilus was generous, and God used that so that we have his word today, but God used him as a person. His very name. Have you ever looked at the name Theophilus before? Theophilus. Think about the word theology, where we get our theology from. Theocracy, theo, meaning God. And philus, we have these words for love, agape, eros, and phileo. Theo, philus, God, loved. God wrote a letter. He see, he says, many have undertaken to drop an account. I too decided to write this orderly account for you, most excellent lovers of God lovers of God. He wrote this letter to Theophilus, but God used his very name to write to us today. There's something right underneath the surface for you. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it says this, it's God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. God has hidden things not from you to find, but for you. To find. There are things underneath the surface. And we're going to be looking at some Greek words this morning in our passage that God has hidden not from you, but for you. Lessons for us to learn. God even used his very name. We're going to start on our text this morning in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And for those who are uh, doing the words for me, I'm going to throw you for a loop. We're going to be skipping around a little bit. Um, I apologize. So, Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk, and he walked with them in the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him, As the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11: While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. We're going to skip to Acts chapter 4, verse 4. In between what happens here, for the sake of time, I'm I'm skipping some verses, but in between this, they bring this man into the temple courts and that's the opportunity that Peter has to preach. He starts preaching to them and, and basically reading their mail to them, how they crucified Jesus. He uses words like this, you killed the author of life. He preaches that inside the temple. This is some bold preaching. In Acts chapter four, verse four, it says, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Incredible, incredible. Peter and John were then arrested. They were arrested, and it was getting later in the day, so they, they, they were put in jail overnight. And then the next day, we're picking up in chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage. See, the, the leaders are, are, in, are interrogating Peter and John. And they have them before the Sanhedrin. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was nothing they could say. Verse 22, it says this. Because that man was 40 years old. 40 years old, what's the implications of this? Well, let's, let's go back to the beginning here. Peter and John are on their way to pray at three o'clock in the afternoon, right? They're on their way, they've, they've, they've you know, God's moved mightily, they preached to thousands of people and God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven that were brought, all of these different people that God is gonna use, he's preaching to them. But God had given them a specific, specific instructions in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. So he had this instruction that they were supposed to reach Jerusalem. And they were reaching Jerusalem, but there was a portion of Jerusalem that they had not yet reached, that inside the temple, the very leaders. So they were going to the, t- at, to the temple at the time of prayer, and they hear this man asking for money. They hear this man asking for money, and, and, and is today any different than any other day? This man has been sitting there for 40 years. Every single day, his, his, whoever was in his life was bringing him there to beg and ask for money. And do you know why he was kept at the gate? He was kept at the gate because he wasn't allowed to go in. He's unclean. He's lame. He'd been, he'd been deformed. He's not allowed to go into the temple at that time, especially for prayer. Peter and John, they see this man. And and then the word does something interesting. Let's let's look at it. In Acts chapter 3, in verse 2, it says, Now the man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, like he did every day. Think about all of the people that passed this man by every single day. Who passed him by? Well, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people— Even Peter and John. What made today different? It said that he asked them for money. Was that any different than any other day? I don't think so. But Luke, see, Luke is an interesting historian because he is very intentional about the words that he uses. And in verse 4, it says, Peter looked straight at him. He looked straight at him. Gets the man to look at him. Now, what's different about today And Churchill, let me remind you, there's something underneath the surface that's hidden for us. What's different about today is that looked straight at him. See, because if, if Luke was going to communicate that he just looked at this man, and he was just seeing this man that was there, he would have used the correct Greek word. But he doesn't use the correct Greek word. He actually uses a special word, a word that's used in very special places throughout the entire New Testament. Now, for you to get a grasp and understanding on how important this word is, see, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. It was 3 o'clock. They were going to do the thing that God had always called them to do, to be in the church, right? And they, they, they Greek word, right? This is the Greek word. It was atanitos. This Greek word, atanizo. Sorry, pronounced it wrong. See, I had Dr. Scott help me get the word right. Atanizo. Atanizo. They, they ought to need so, this man. This word is used in very special places. And, and let me read to you some of those places. In Luke 22, verse 56, a servant girl saw him seated in the firelight. She looked, she ought so. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. What passage did I just read? I read the very passage that this this servant girl, Atonizo, she saw Peter sitting by the firelight after Jesus had been arrested. And that was when Peter denied Jesus. Atonizo, why is this important? Well, this is where another place where it's used. In Acts chapter one, verse 10, this is whenever Jesus is ascending. They looked steadfastly up towards heaven. As he went, and behold, two men stood them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you staring into heaven? Jesus is going to come back the same way he left. Atonito, why are you Atenizo? Why are you gazing intently? See, this isn't just a word that's used when you just look at something, right? Acts chapter 7, verse 55. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly up into heaven and saw the glory of God. Atenizo, he looked, he Atenizoed into heaven. It's used of the Israelites by Paul when talking about they are not able to look at the face of Moses because of the glory of God. They they weren't able to atenito. They couldn't. Now, what is this word? Atanito is a combination of two words. The first word is stretch. Stretch. And then the second word is to look. Why is this important for you to know? Because Peter and John didn't just see a lame man they didn't just see someone who was begging because he had been begging at that temple gate called Beautiful every single day for 40 years. Why was he begging? He was begging so he could make it another day. Peter and John, they, they looked in, into this man and they saw that this is the man. This is the very man that God is gonna use to help us reach these people. Peter and John were interrupted. A man was crying out saying, I need help and they looked at him, and they got him to look at him, and they grabbed him, and instead of giving this man enough to survive another day, they led this man into the purpose and will of God, this man who had been rejected and passed by every single day. This very man who was just trying to make it another day. They stopped what they were doing. They were interrupted. They dropped the ball. They were late to prayer. They grabbed this man. They bring him in and he's jumping up and down and he's, he, he's been, the passage says that he had to lean on Peter and John because he now had the strength to walk but he didn't know how. That's how miraculous this was. They make it inside the temple and you know what happens next? Everybody's like, what is this guy doing? I've been passing this guy every single I mean every day we come in here and we've passed him by and you know what Peter says he says why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? It was 2014. It was a ice storm outside. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was very bitter and cold outside. I'd been binge drinking and I was on the floor of my apartment. I'd been there for days. I was miserable. I had a bottle of pills in one hand and a knife in the other. I was ready to end it. I was ready to be done. I had time to think about my life. I had this moment of clarity, this out-of-body experience and got to look at my life I thought back to how it all started. I was hanging out with the wrong people. I was in my, my early, early teen years and being introduced to cigarettes, right? Just wanted to be affirmed, right? Hang out with people. Wanted to get to, you know, you know not be the, the nerdy, dorky kid, right? And uh, that's never gonna change, by the way. <laughs> never gonna change, no matter how hard I try. And, uh, you know, just hanging out with the wrong people. And then I was drinking on the weekends. And, and early in my teens, my, my parents, there were some, some problems going on there. My mom had an affair. They began this nasty divorce. My dad was forced out. And life got more and more difficult. And at the same time, I was looking for affirmation in the wrong places. And so what I, what I did was I started using drugs with these people. Was, you know, smoking pot and then, then, then taking uh, amphetamines, Adderall, stuff like that. Before the age of 17, I was using cocaine. The reason why I was going after those things because things were getting so much worse at home. I'd come home from school, and my mom would be unconscious on the couch. She'd been drinking for so so long, she's not even responsive. I'm having to figure out how to get her to the hospital, because I don't even have a driver's license. My siblings don't have food cooked for them, so I have to do that. And it got so bad that, I mean, the drinking was uncontrollable. Christmas Eve, I come to find out there's no Christmas presents for my siblings. So I'm like, all right, let's go. So we drag my mom to the store. We grab presents. I come back. She's too drunk. I wrap them for my siblings. I wrapped my own Christmas presents. I was so sick of it, I had to get out of there. I was good in school, I was a gifted musician, and so the door opened for me to get on scholarship to go to college, I was 17 years old. And so when that door opened, I took off, I said, I'm done. And I abandoned my family. I left, I'm I'm not answering my mom's phone calls anymore, I didn't go see my siblings, I was done. The only person I would talk to in my family was my dad. Couldn't do it anymore. I'm in. I'm in. I'm 17 years old. I'm a freshman in college. I'm just free. I can live life the way I want to live it. Right? I can just do whatever I want. Five days before my 18th birthday, my dad calls me, flips my world upside down when he says, "Your mother. She shot herself in front of your siblings. She's gone." Then it was doctors' offices. I was in and out of psych wards. Bipolar disorder insomnia, depression, over and over, in and out, in and out, in and out. Doctors and drugs and that. Church is how I was on the floor of my apartment. It was an ice storm raging outside and a knife in my hand. Before I put the knife in my arm, I said three words. Because up until that point, I'd been an atheist, but God provided me the opportunity to recognize something. I recognized in that moment that I could not blame my mother for where I was. I could not blame the doctors, the pain, the circumstances. The only person that I could blame was myself because I was the reason why I was there. I sat there on the throne of my own judgment and determined that I deserved to die. I said, God, I'm sorry. I woke up in the hospital. At the end of my bed, you know, there was IVs and stuff coming out of me. There, at the end of my bed, there was my dad. It's an image that's burned into my brain. He's, he's just... He'd aged 20 years. He, his head was in his hands. He was broken. It's an, an image I'm never going to forget because it was in that moment that I realized how selfish I had become. He lost his wife and now he almost lost his son. It was, oddly enough, in the afternoon someone came to visit me at my bedside. His name was Terry. He was a family friend. This is a man who had been trying to reach me over the years. He saw the life that I was living. He even invited me to church a couple of times. He would try and disciple me. He tried to encourage me. But he came to my bedside, and there I was broken and despondent. I had no hope, nothing left. And he comes to my bedside, and he says, hey, there's a place that can change your life. It's called Teen Challenge. And I said, I'm 25. He said, no, it's for adults too. And so, Terry at Nitzot, he looked at me and saw that there was something more. That I wasn't too far gone. That lame man that was at the temple gate called Beautiful, that was me. What I love about the word Beautiful is it appears four times in the New Testament. I had to get Dr. Scott for help on this one too. It's oraos, beautiful. It appears four times in the New Testament, twice in the book of Acts. And the other two times it appears it's used of feet and the outside of the Pharisees. This word is beautiful, right? I shouldn't have to tell, define the word beautiful for you. You guys know what beautiful is. You're in this beautiful campus, a beautiful church. You guys know the characteristics of beautiful, but the actual definition of beautiful doesn't translate to English as beautiful. We can go ahead and put it up. It's This man was, this lame man, was put at the gate for 40 years. He was put at the gate that was named the right hour or season. It was the very namesake of this gate. See, scholars argue about which gate this is. There's, There's really no agreement as to what gate it is. They do know that it is has to be pretty, but think about this. Peter and John were on mission from God. God had called them to reach Jerusalem, and every day they passed through a gate that had the very name, it's the time. Now is the time. That day wasn't any any more special, but it was the day that they heard this man, it was the day that they saw this man, and they saw this is gonna be the lame man that starts a movement. This is gonna be the guy that helps us reach Jerusalem. And it was this very man, this very man that started, uh, we're in it today because of him, because of a man that was passed by for 40 years. Let me tell you what our Savior's church is doing, what legacy is. We are stopping every time we get an interruption because you know what we're doing? We're stopping. We're going to help every single lame man up, man, woman, child, whoever it is. We're going to reach them, grab them, not give them what they think they need, but we're going to walk them into eternity. Why are you surprised? When they brought that man into the temple gate, into the courts, they saw him and they were surprised. Why? Because what they expected was flipped on its head. So often in the church today, and I'm just going to tell it to you like it is, we do this. We minimize what's possible with God and I can prove it to you. Um, I'm going to ask my wife for a pen and just pay attention. Pay attention. Can I have a pen? Church, I got a testimony. I asked my wife for a pen, and she gave it to me. I'm so, guys, oh, yeah. My wife, she gave me a pen. Can you believe it? We, we pray and we ask God for a miracle, and when he, when he delivers it, we respond with surprise. Because we didn't think it was possible. We prayed and we prayed, and then God comes in and he heals, and what do we do? We were surprised. God, forgive us. Instead of us seeing lame men walk and acting in astonishment, church, you know what we should do? That's God. Let me praise him. That's God, that's the God I serve. Not out of surprise. Not out of amazement, because when I'm amazed, you know what it means? It means I didn't expect it. Amen. But OSC is a church that expects it. Yeah. And expects it. There are leaders that are putting their hands on what God is doing, and they're excited about it. It is an absolute privilege for me to tell you that over the last few months, we have been able to reach out to 41 different individuals and grab their hands and help them start to get up again. In just the last few months, yeah, 41 people are on this intake roster for Adult and Teen Challenge. Let me tell you how it works. When you encounter someone that needs help, get interrupted. Get interrupted. Stop what you're doing. Drop the ball. It's a principle. It's a value at OSC. One of the things that we hear in all of our leadership meetings, staff, all of this stuff, they always say this. If you've got an administrative task or a ministry opportunity, drop administrative every single time. Go to ministry. Terry came to my bedside in the middle of the afternoon. He left work to do it. And because he did, I'm alive today. Amen. Church, I'm, I want to challenge you. Get interrupted. And when interruptions come, reevaluate your day after that. Look at what's possible when you allow an interruption. There's an intake network that we're running. We're helping men and women get out of bondage and into adult and teen challenge. The nuts and bolts and how it works. You don't need to know how it works. Let me tell you how how the interruption looks like. We were getting ready for our first board meeting at the retreat. I was so excited. I mean, we're, I mean, we're, this is an incredible program. I poured so much blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. Board's coming. I get to meet them. I'm excited. And then we get a phone call from DCFS at St. Landry Parish. Hey, this woman, she just showed up. She's been uh, drinking. She's been using cocaine. Uh, She's fleeing from her life. Her boyfriend had a gun to her head. Uh, and she's seven and a half months pregnant with her 10th child. Talk about getting my attention. Uh, that's an interruption. I'm going to drop something for it. So we, we made a decision. I was like, all right, Victoria, this one's you. You go, I'll stay here with the board. We'll do this thing. That's more important. She goes, let me tell you what your legacy has done. Your legacy has provided an opportunity for this woman to have her child free from addiction. Her baby is going to be born sober. She's going to be surrounded. Yes, we found a place for her to go. She's going to experience freedom from addiction because of you. That's your legacy. But let me tell you the other side. There's something behind the scenes that you don't see. Because there's another legacy that's taking place. You've provided an opportunity for us to pay induction fees and transportation. That's earmarked for that. Like financially, that's what that's for. So this woman was fleeing for her life. She didn't have anything, no bags. She just had the clothes she had on her back. She had nothing, right? And so we needed uh, to provide for her. We'd figure out, uh, what are we going to do? So what did we do? We reached out to the leadership team at OSC. I want to tell you what a legacy looks like. A legacy looks like what they responded with because we sent them a list of everything that she needed. And the pastors began fighting over who was going to pay for it. I mean, that's legacy. Not, I'm not talking about them going out to the, the church and saying, hey, we need to raise— No, they were we reaching their pockets. I want to pay for this. I want to get the bag. I want to get the shirt. And by the end of it, they're like, well, what do I get to get? We had people that were left out. They didn't get to pay for— it. That's legacy. Church, the leadership at OSC is not asking you to do something that they're not already currently doing. They're not leading you where they're not going. It's amazing. We, my wife and I have this incredible opportunity to welcome our first man into the retreat, December the very beginning of December, this man is com- it's just graduated Teen Challenge. He's been working there, and he feels the call of God on his life, and he wants to come here. He feels the call of God to come here and help us reach the lost to get men and women off the streets into treatment. It all begins with an interruption. So, church, I want to remind you, get interrupted. Get interrupted. I'm here to tell you that this morning. Second, I want to, I want to ask you to stop being surprised. I want you to expect it. I want you to expect it. Stop being surprised. Whenever you you stop to pray because someone's lost and then they're found, yes, yes, I knew he would do it. I knew that, and that is my God. That is the faith that steps out and it grabs a man who is totally broken that no one had any hope for. Peter and John didn't look at him and pray on him and say, okay, is God gonna do it? No, they actually stepped out and risked something. They had to grab this man's hand and the text doesn't say he was healed at that moment. The text doesn't say he was healed when he says, look at at us. The text doesn't say that he was healed when he said the name of Jesus. The text says that he was healed instantly when they grabbed him and yanked him up. It was after they reached out and risked something that he was healed. And that man was led from day to day begging into an eternal life with Jesus Christ that started a movement today. Church, it's up to us to get interrupted. It's up to us to stop being surprised. And it's up to us to keep putting him at the gate of beautiful you got loved ones in your life right now. Every single person in this, in this room I know has a friend or a family member or somebody that's an addiction. I'm here to tell you, don't stop putting them at the gate called beautiful. What do I mean by that? I want you to think about the people in your life that need Jesus, and you've tried, and you've tried. Terry didn't stop trying. Terry didn't give up. He showed up on, in the middle of the afternoon because he was actively thinking about the time whenever I would enter the kingdom of heaven. Church, I'm here to encourage you this morning. The people that you're waiting on, like that lame man. It took 40 years for that man to enter into the kingdom. Don't give up. Don't enable. Don't pay for—no, but don't give up. You you keep praying. It is is an incredible privilege to have been able to walk through this with you, the gate called beautiful. But if you're here this morning and you have not met Jesus— I would be remiss if I did not provide an opportunity for you to do that. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father except through Him. In the same way that I said three words, God, I'm sorry, right? You need that place of repentance. You need to recognize that I I have sinned, I have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. We all have. But the time today is beautiful because it is the right time. Your time for salvation is now. So what, what we do in the in the church today is we offer a, a, a moment, a time for you to pray, a time for you to accept the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. So we we close our eyes, we bow our heads, stuff like that. We're going to provide that opportunity, a moment. But I want to tell you this: it is not the prayer that saves you; it's Jesus Christ. When I came into Adult and Teen Challenge, I came in on nine psychotropic medications. I came in at the end of a 10-year drug and alcohol addiction. I came in with a chronic seizure disorder that doctors say I would never be freed from. On that third day in that program, I was in the orientation room and I could see my breath. It was still cold. I prayed a prayer that was simple. Let me tell you what didn't happen. The heavens didn't open and fire didn't fall, but that night I slept. And the next day I woke up and I was hungry. I had an appetite. And over the next couple of weeks, God started to change my life. And then within the first month, He had radically delivered me from that drug and alcohol addiction. 10 years, gone. Nine psychotropic medications, gone. I'm not surprised. In the sixth month that I was on the program, I felt the Lord lead me to reach out to leaders. I got prayer, and I felt the Lord definitely leading me. I need to stop taking these seizure meds. God is telling me that He's healed me. Chronic seizures, seizures so bad I would my entire body would convulse, like fall down. I was in and out of the hospital because of black eyes, falling down and stuff. I felt God telling me to stop taking. I felt that God had healed me, so I did. I was cured from a seizure disorder. Miraculously cured. I mean, there was no solution. There was no way. The only other option was them to cut into my brain. God delivered me. Do you think he can't do the same thing for you? God is able to do abundantly above what you can ask, think, dream, or imagine. It starts with salvation. and I'm telling you, the sky may not open, the fire may not fall, but what I'm here to tell you is that if you will make a decision today and accept Jesus, and then tomorrow you make that exact same decision, I'm going to keep following Jesus, and you get plugged in at your church, and you reach out to your pastors and you say, I want to get baptized next week, just like they did, and you make that process, we're going to provide that opportunity for you to start the journey that led me to this day here. But that's just what God took away from me. The things that he took away from me pale in comparison to what he gave me. Let me tell you what he gave me. Purpose. Identity, direction, hope, future, provision, protection. He walks with me. I'm never alone, never forsaken. I'm never depressed. God has radically not just delivered me, yes, but encouraged me. I had such crippling anxiety, I couldn't eat in restaurants. I'm on stage. Talk about the the platform of weakness that you have. That's the opportunity for God's power to be made manifest in your life. God is able and he will. He's gonna use you because of you. So stop disqualifying you because of your weaknesses. That is what qualifies you. It is the platform where his power will be made perfect. Let's bow our heads this morning. God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you asking for your conviction to reign over this house. God, Holy Spirit, move. If you're in this house and you recognize that now is the day to start your journey into everlasting, I'm going to provide an opportunity for you to raise your hand. And when I do, I just want you to raise your hand as a a recognition that I'm publicly professing That I'm accepting Jesus right now, and I want to I want you to do that. After you pray, after you raise your hand, what we'll do is we'll lead you in prayer and then we'll give you directions. So if you felt the Lord tugging on your heart and you want to start your journey into eternity today, raise your hand with me. Raise your hand with me. I see your hand. I see your hand this morning. I don't want to miss anybody. This is your public profession, the day that you enter into the temple forever. Church, what we're going to do is we're going to pray along with those that raised their hands. If you raised your hand this morning, we're going to pray a prayer together. So I'm going to ask that you and the church repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Celebrate. Come on. Hallelujah.